Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. I'm Kerry Hand, your host and creative coach. Join me each week as we delve into the journeys of creative trailblazers, aiming to inspire you to embrace your creativity and chart your own unique path. I'm introducing you this week to Christian Viveris Fournay, a Chilean New York based writer, curator, and former art dealer and art fair director. With a prolific writing career in renowned publications like Art in America, The New Yorker, and Freeze, you'll discover how he approaches curating citywide biennials, selecting artists, and which artist friends in particular have informed his thinking over the years. He shares the political event that changed his life and has shaped his ongoing creative line of inquiry. And stay tuned until the end to discover the article that skyrocketed to viral fame early in his career and the heartfelt apology he made to an artist years after writing a critical review of their work. Hello, Christian. Um, Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives podcast. I am so happy to see you. Back at you. I, I'm I'm tough to see you, as you Brits say. Oh, so for our audience, would you do us the honour of introducing yourself, please? Sure. I am uh, Christian Viveros Fonet. I am a curator and writer, um, someone who's sort of been in the, I hate calling it the trade, but the trade, the art trade, the sort of cultural trade for some three decades. Uh, it's frightening to actually sort of like count that far back. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's I guess that's me in a nutshell. I, I, the things I should add, obviously, are um, uh, that I am the curator, uh, curator at large at um, Albany Institution in Tampa, Florida, called the University of South Florida Contemporary Art Museum. But I live and work uh, in New York City. Um, so fly back and forth. And most recently, I've been sort of also going to the West Coast. Um, because I just curated uh, a biennial that is still on um, through about mid-December in Portland, Oregon. Um, that biennial is called Converge, and the show that I did was titled Social Forms, Art and Global Citizenship. Um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And that show, Christian, that came out of uh, a publication, I believe, that you've also yeah. written. Yeah, so late 2018, sort of early 2019, I guess, right before, right before what we all know. How, how you know, I, I imagine a lot of these interviews or some of these conversations, you have to sort of count the amount of time that goes by before someone mentions the pandemic. Mm. Um, uh, so somewhere December uh, uh, 2018, um, January 2019, I published a book with David Turner Books called Social Forms. A short history of political art, um, and it's essentially, uh, you know, one one writer's, one critic's sort of listing of great uh, works of political art, starting with Goya's "The Disasters of War" and going forward to um, works of social engagement uh, around twenty nine. Yeah, well, twenty nineteen, um, and uh, yeah, there were small essays. There were sort of small essays, essentially, sort of designed to hopefully be illuminating on those, on those specific artworks, but also to sort of tie up um, the idea of political art historically um, um, so that, you know, it wouldn't seem like such a, a newfangled idea, um, you know, and I think it often does. I, I, I do think that, that um, uh, even, you know, uh, 
even even folks who 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 know art know art well um, or fairly well, you know, have a hard time dialing back past Warhol when they're talking about sort of ideas that that are important, um, you know, today that 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 need addressing. Um, and and I and, and you know uh, the uh, an obvious sort of like. Uh, um, uh notion is that you know if you tune into history you know you you can maybe learn yourself a little about you know how to approach a, a contemporary problem so um anyway that was that book and mm-hmm. that book decanted um I, I actually thought of this sort of term which is a pretty catch-all term social forms is a good substitute for the idea of political art um, or, or in a way, you know, a, a, a term that that artified it or defanged it um, uh, and made it less threatening. Um, and I thought of, of it as sort of a peg for an exhibition probably sometime around 2014, 2015. I had some people or someone had me lined up to 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 do a show with, again, that title um, that fell apart. And, you know, when when someone came calling from when Lucas Werner came calling um, uh, to consider having me do a book, um, that was, of course, an idea I'd been kicking around for a bit. So, um, yeah, anyway, so now what, it has. What was lives. it that drove you to to kind of pull it all together in that particular form? What do you think the impetus and the real driver for the, the book was? Well, there was um, I'm spacing his name, unfortunately, but a, but a, a wonderful British critic who used to write for is it the Guardian or the Telegraph? I think it was the Telegraph. I remember his name in a minute. Um, and he had done uh, a book of a, a book about his favorite paintings, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it seemed such a it, it seems it's an easy format, you know, mm. it's just a smart format, um, you know, uh, it, and, and it also seemed like a format that could encapsulate lots of big ideas without seeming threatening. Um, and, and so, you know, um, when I was thinking about the book, suddenly that format came to mind. Um, and why do you think you're so interested in political art? Uh you know, I've always sort of had the notion that it's the hardest kind of work to get right. You know, mm. the demands are are, are bigger, literally. Um, there's a, at least a wider intended public for it. it. It, I just think it's it's the hardest art to do genuinely well. Um, the it 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 it, um, it spills over interest for it. Right. Um, meaning sort of spills out from the tradition, say, of painting or of sculpture um, uh, or uh, of, you know, art or of history, you know, into a larger sort of public realm um, to genuinely sort of mean at its large in its largest way, it, it has to sort of tune into, you know, other audiences and a sense of access that that I think generally tends to escape um, even successful art, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the art scene in galleries and sometimes the art scene in museums. Um, 
you know, these are, you know, uh, sort of tough parallels to make, but, but, you know, Guernica is obviously the kind of work that has done political art, um, you know, uh, that's Picasso's Guernica. Yeah, pretty exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, you know, it, it is it is a, a a spectacular sort of work of art um, that that few other uh, works of art can can approach. Um, but part of the reason it is so is because it it really it, it manages to communicate to just about everybody. You know, mm. um, can you think of another artist, perhaps that you mentioned from the book that? could give us uh, a visual example of somebody who's really moved you um, and is a good example of somebody who makes political art. Goya. Goya. <clears throat> Goya, you know, and, and the idea of political art sort of like, he predates the idea of political art, obviously, you know, mm. um, you know, in a way that, that, you know, I, 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 I think he was on about, Listen, so he made the um, disasters of war and, and actually never saw them in print because um, they were essentially published posthumously. So whatever drove him to make those images, and they are essentially the first sort of anti-war images, if you like, that you can find. Um, uh, whatever interior uh, demons possessed him to get down stuff that he'd been hearing about, right? Because he, he didn't see any of these things. He wasn't in the trenches as a mm. sort of uh, war reporter, you know, peering, peering over um, or witnessing any of these killings. Um, or again, these disasters of war, uh, these massacres. Um, uh, but, but something drove him in hearing about this stuff in the same way that we are now hearing about the bombing of Gaza mm. um, to essentially, you know, take the time to not just record them. They, they're not drawings. I mean, they're etchings. Um, there is a, there's a significant sort of process that goes into, into, into making those plates. Um, and, uh, you know, again, to to not have those things actually sort of published in his lifetime, you know the 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 pull to get that down, the notion of 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 what might survive him, you know, in the term of in terms of those observations and those visions. I think, it, you know, um, it, it, in, on the one hand, it's a it's a real mystery. On the other, you know, the man clearly, you know. Um, clearly thought that uh, you know these were this was an important set of images, an important way of of thinking visually about um, a, what the, the Burns line man's and humanity demand, you know, and that it it deserved it deserved a place, you know, um, uh, at least in his imagination, I am sure he hoped in the imagination of others. I mean, I'm sure he did. He had no clue that it it would basically have the life that it did. It could have perfectly well have been put in a set of drawers and never seen again. Mm -hmm. You know. So, in a more um, taking us up to a more contemporary uh, moment, yeah. is there an artist that you think is doing something um, as critical of our time? 
I think there's a lot of people making really important work. Um, there's a lot of terrible work out there, but that's, that's per usual. Right. Mm. Um, but I, but I do think, you know, folks are attempting to grapple with, you know, the events of the day and the events of the day are, you know, um, critical, urgent, you know, pressing, um, what's, I think it was Joe Biden's line, which I think he stole from uh, or cribbed from um, the UN Secretary General Guterres, is this notion of there being a cascade of crises. And that's essentially kind of where we are right this minute. Mm. I, I, I do think um, artists are more in tune with, with uh, you know, the events of the day because they're more pressing again um, than they were, you know, certainly before COVID certainly before George Floyd's murder. Um, uh, your specific question, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but I'm winding back to work that was made before COVID. Um, you know, David Hammonds is a place that I, mm. is, is a is an artist that I go back to quite a bit um, because he's made a number of works that like, I think Goya and like, pardon me, like um, the disasters of war and like Picasso's Guernica, tend to prefigure, you know, mm. um, there's a work of his that's called in the hood, um, which, you know, I'm not sure how many folks in, in Britain will be aware of it, but many, many are, um, in, in, in the States and increasingly so, um, uh, after George Floyd, um, and it's just a, a simple hoodie, right? It's this mm. thing basically yeah. sort of stretched and, you know, put high in a wall and, you know, it has echoes of a Christian crucifix because of its placement. Um, mm. And, you know, also, I don't know, the flaying of Marcius maybe. Uh, um, uh, but it's such a simple sort of metonymic gesture, you know, mm. it holds lots of meaning and just this, you know, um, seemingly sort of easy turnabout of just a, a familiar object. Um, mm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, that's that, that for some reason, you know, that's where mm. the, that's where the brain goes back to now, but there's, there's lots of stuff. There's lots of stuff being made. You know? I showed um, a work by David Hammonds at a show um, called Get Up Stand Up Now that I did at Somerset House. And it was uh, it was on loan from uh, an amazing collector. And it was a chaise longue um, with lots of um, Afro hair on it. And one of my biggest fears was because it was a listed building, was that the mice would get inside the chaise longue during the run of the exhibition because it was something that had travelled, you know, forever. Um, the joys of curating uh, a mammoth exhibition. Oh, and totally. So with that in mind, Christian, I'm curious, you know, from um, in layman's terms, how do you make a decision of what to select and what to edit out when you're putting together a book or a show that is an overview of that, if you like? What, what are your criteria? Well, you know, I think the criteria is basically that they'd be good. You know, I should have mentioned Henry Taylor, who's got a show uh, at the Whitney and and a show I haven't seen here, um, but that I, I saw in Los Angeles when it sort of kicked off. He's he's making a lot of terrific 
images, uh, some of which have to do with ideas of sort of social justice. And I was just having a, I just had a coffee with a with a friend and a terrific artist, a guy named Mark Thomas Gibson out of Philadelphia, um, who's also been making sort of wonderful work. Um, again, around themes of social justice, but the but but ultimately the works have to be good, right? I mean, you know, they have to function um, as compelling works of art. He's got one now um, uh, at the African American Museum up in up in Philadelphia, um, and it's a uh, it's a it's a Klansman's grave. Um, it's kind of comic booky, um, mm-hmm. but it's an actual sort of. Um, uh, um, sculpture um sort of drastically lit it it feels like a piece of it's a 3d sculpture it it feels like a piece of augustine painting Mm. sort of like transposed into 3d uh and it's animatronic so you know this little daisy that's sort of there just sort of moves around and sort of salutes you or doesn't um anyway he's he's quite good those are two artists that Mm. that um are doing work now right yes that i think is is important Use the term good. And uh, I know there'll be loads of people in the audience saying define good because your version of good, my version of good, you know, tell us a bit more about your version of good, Christian. Effective, compelling, you know, Mm. where form and content actually sort of meet and and give you a a jolt, you know, sometimes a surprise, a sense of seeing something new or something old, but, you know, in in a way that, that, um, makes it new you know that mm. that pound is is uh ezra pound is somebody not off quoted these days for good reason because <laughs> he was a fucking fascist but he was a great poet um and the idea of art being you know something that's consistently made new is 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 an idea that i think as a curator i go back to um over and over again I, you know in in, in many ways um, you know, the ideas don't change. They, they, they endure the ones that matter. Um, the, the fact that we get them in, 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 in new envelopes when they're effective, mm. um, uh, I, I think is, is, is where the magic happens. Right. Um, yeah. uh, again, I mentioned the, the Burns line, man's and humanity, man. Now, you know, you could, you get awfully tired of sort of that idea, even in the most pressing of situations or the idea of love or the romantic or platonic or otherwise. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think in every generation with artists and writers and musicians and dancers and what have you, you know, you have people essentially making those ideas new. Um, and, and, and that is a combination of essentially sort of being able to, to work within your medium well, knowing your medium well, whether it's painting or marble or, you know, installation or, again, you know, uh, music or performance, um, and in making a set of ideas, a, a piece of content meaningful. Um, uh, I, 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 I do think the, the meaning-making part of of art is is where you know the the real sort of obviously the communication happens the 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 surprise the and, and i'm a big lover of surprises as somebody and i think I, mm. this you know might strike a note with you i'm sure it does you know you 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 make a career out of seeing lots of stuff right mm. um 
it, it's it, the element of surprise becomes increasingly important as you do, you know. Yes. With that in mind, for, for the non-curators out there, or indeed writers or editors, from this perspective, at this ripe old age that we're at, Christian, how do you start making a show? Could you talk us through your particular process of how do you start working on a biennial? What's the process for you? I got to tell you, I think it really changes. And, and I, I, I managed to almost sort of squirm out of the question because you restated it. Um, but but it, it context is everything, you know? Mm. Um, so, so I, I think you, one walks into certain kinds of situations, right? Where, I don't know, put it this way, the resources, the money is on the table, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the registrars are plural. Um, the facilities are impeccable. Um, the, uh, the, the installers are a crack team. Um, you know, often, you know, you're, you're, I was about to say you're thrown into situations. You accept situations that are more workaday. Yeah. Um, more flexible, you know, ones in which, you know, you're, you're going hopefully to grow the context and the context is going to challenge you. Um, those tend to be the ones I get into. Um, mm. uh, and it's not necessarily because I'm looking for trouble, but for some reason or other, I've been, I've done best in startup situations, whether, mm. you know, that is at a gallery level. And that's one of the skeletons, as it were, in my closet that you know about because we've known each other for a long time that I, mm-hmm. I had a gallery for, for a while. Um, uh, and, but, you know, whether, whether in that situation or, or when you're talking about being in a, in an institution or a museum or in another kind of institution, um, that is a foundation that, that, that runs, a, that runs a biennial. So, um, you know, that is to say in, in a couple of instances in which I've done biennials, I did one in, in Dublin in 2011, the the, the there was a, a, a nice chunk of money there. I, I won't say how much, mm-hmm. but not a great deal of um, goodwill uh, in terms of putting the project together. That had nothing to do with me. I arrived sort of in the middle of a process that was already a bit truncated mm-hmm. uh, and as a bit of a fixer, frankly. Um, so, you know, pushing that project forward had a, you know... Um, had its own particular issues. Um, you know, thankfully it was successful. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I learned a lot from it. This, um, project, the one in Portland, um, you know, also had its share of, of issues, not, not goodwill was not one of them. There was an excess Mm. of goodwill and that was, you know, in, in, I think in, in significant ways are, um uh you know our, our 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 magic wand um but you know there there was a significant amount of extra fundraising that we had to do and to do that we you know we had to do as it were sort of the song and dance and make people believe in something mm-hmm. and by people i mean the people people in portland uh, um uh funders 
um, the city artists, um, mm. you know, Portland is undergoing a, they did, Portland came back from COVID badly. Um, mm. And there's a massive homeless problem um, that in the context of the city, you, you know, <clears throat> looks worse um it, it it looks worse in a city of 650,000 people than it does in a city of you know uh you know 9 million mm-hmm. um so it, add add to that the the liberalization of um drug policy and you know uh um in many ways portland sort of the amsterdam of of uh drugs in in the states and the fentanyl crisis, and you know, it's 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 rough going, and the mm-hmm. downtown is empty still, um, and so that's the context in which we were doing this this show. And and when I say doing the show, I mean sort of soup to nuts, right? Now, I think the part you're asking me is, you know, how does the what I'm giving you the the back end of stuff, what what happens sort of behind the curtains, which yes. you know, part of what I'm trying to say is that it's it's as important as the stuff that happens in front of the curtain. Yes, indeed. Um, You talked about the thing that you had to make them believe. Yes. What what was that, Christian? Well, you know, I'd like to think that it was the program, Mm -hmm. you know, and I came ready with a program of artists and an idea of yes. a show that I wanted to do. And it is this social forms and particularly one that's pegging the notion of citizenship, our immigration issues and the states are what I think, I mean, I think you guys know about them, but yours mirror ours to a certain degree. That's right. Right. Um, we're being particularly unkind to, uh, to refugees and to, mm-hmm. and to immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and in ways that I think go underreported, uh, you know, I think, per, per, I don't think, I know per capita in the U S we bring in far less refugees than other developed countries. There's a listing that just came out. We are 55th, you know, right. yet the notion that America, you know, is this model immigrant democracy mm-hmm. is still out there. It still sort of occupies a significant part of everybody's sort of like mm. brain space. And it's increasingly false, yeah. right? It's increasingly false. So the idea of citizenship really sort of like, I think lands, Landed there at least for me conceptually in putting in putting the show together and in the selection of the artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I explained the stuff that sort of happened in the back, or at least some of it. The stuff that is as it were is happening in the front of the of the curtain, right on stage. Um, the actual exhibitions, the selection of the work, um, you know, happens uh, in response to a number of factors. One, the themes of the show, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other factors, basic factors are, you know, you need to have some significant representation from artists, you know, I, I hasten to, to, I, I, I don't want to say local. I don't like that term. Mm-hmm. No one is local anymore. You yeah. know, everyone is fundamentally global and if for no other reason, because of this effing thing yes um, the phone the phone and instagram mm-hmm. and social media you know um it, it, you know it at least gives the illusion of of globalism yes. um but and of connection um but um you mean people that are based in the city that you're doing the show 
Yes. You mean us, or, yeah. in the, or, or in the or in the area, in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. or in the West Coast, or, you know, thinking it, it, people in the Northeast of, of, of the country tend to think about art running towards the West. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a way in which people on the West Coast of the country tend to think about global art running towards the East. There okay. is some of that to consider, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you want to work with people um, that are going to be uh, the, if you like, the customers of the biennial as well as the participants. Yes. Yeah. And, and you need and you need a, you need a somewhat representative base for that. You know, yeah. there's no quota system, but you mm-hmm. you need to be attentive to um, to the challenges, the expectations, even even if they're not expectations that that that, that doesn't mean that you need to retrofit your ideas. Sure. Means you at least minimally need to be aware of them. If you're not going to yeah. fulfill an expectation, you need to have a reason why you're not doing that. Yeah, you know, and I think that's that's important. So you, you sort of go out from the artists into again the the community that is Portland or the Pacific Northwest, and then you know um, the West Coast, and obviously sort of the again the trade by which I mean you know uh, people who know contemporary art, um, people who in reading a, a list of artists think they peg you know, mm-hmm. what a show is about, um, yeah. uh, press, right? Yeah. Um, so and, in this uh, in this research, Christian, you're doing studio visits in real life yeah. as well as online? Yeah, you know what? I, I, um, I hate doing studio visits online. I do conversations on it, meaning like, you know, we have, yeah. a, but, but in general, the studio visits happen in person. Mm-hmm. So, and are you taking counsel from artists to recommend other artists? Oh, sure, of course. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. in your research, just thinking, I'm thinking of you like this amazing chef. In fact, I'm going to call it a Cuban chef <laughs> who is putting together this incredible kind of mezze where we have a texture and, and everything's riffing off each other. So, you start feeling excited. Right, so you're following your own curiosity with this base premise. So you've got your base stock cube right in there, so that's going to be joining the flavor together, which is this kind of general premise of the show. And then you're putting in a little chili, you're putting in a little extra nuance flavor, and then there's some special discoveries maybe that you hadn't anticipated. And so that research, pulling it together, how long would you give that period of time? You know, it needs to be at least... A year. I mean, I've done it with less time. Yes. <laughs> um, but the part I would add to your lovely metaphor is that the context also sort of determines, largely determines what goes into the mezze or the stew. Yeah. What do I mean by that? Well, I actually once, interesting that you selected a Cuban chef, mm-hmm. Um Part, partly because it's so hard to source material in Cuba, like mm. as in food, you yeah. know. Um, and, and I, I, I had the opportunity to uh, travel to Cuba with a project that was food related during one of the biennials. Mm. Um, and, and I went around with chefs. I mean, I was actually writing for the book, but because they didn't speak Spanish and I did. 
we traveled around and did a number, mm-hmm. I, I, and I served as sort of the translator and something of a fixer. Point being, it was really hard for American chefs to find anything akin to what they needed, you know, mm-hmm. so they were constantly sort of inventing or reinventing. And the term actually in Cuba is, in general, about everything, is inventar. You're con- they're constantly, Cubans are constantly having to figure out how to fix the Volkswagen bug, the belt is broken, and you find a pair of pantyhose. Yeah. And that's what you fix it with, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can't get, um, if, if you can't get the wiring that you need because the store or the stores are closed or they simply don't have it and you need it to literally sort of like pipe electricity into your house, mm-hmm. you know, you go wherever it is that you go and you find that guy who's going to peel them off at another building. This is, this is, the yeah. thing, you know, like you're constantly having to sort of reinvent what seemed like normal processes, partly because the context won't deliver. Oh, it won't deliver them in the ideal way. So when you're doing a biennial in general, and certainly with the ones I've done, um, there's a scarcity, but even in Venice, if you think about it, there's a scarcity of like white cubes, mm. right? A perfect sort of like environments for art. I yeah. think that's a blessing. But. You like you like that. So you, I'm wondering, what is it about your your Cuban heritage? Do you think that you bring to your curatorial or write writing style? Do you think? Well, I'm Chilean. Chilean, sorry. Uh, no, no, it's all right. Um, but uh, you know, in terms of in terms of the, I don't know about the style, but maybe um, I, I I don't, and I'm not going to remember the who who I'm not going to remember the the source of the citation. But somebody once said that basically, you know, made speaking another language literally sort of like um, uh, being versed in another culture, and that and that and and and. And, and the fact that you consistently have either complementary or conflicting ideas uh, about culture, because you're holding both of these things in your own person and mm. your own mind consistently, you know, gives you both uh, a, a a set of tools that other people don't have. That is, you have two ways of saying things or several ways mm. of expressing, but also a given skepticism about, you know, the right way to do anything. Yeah. Because you know there's at least two ways to do it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's such a nice way of thinking about it. My uncle's Jamaican and he he's spoken before about um, you know, as he came to, to Britain when he was twelve and you know, being in in Britain, he him feeling Jamaican and then when he's in Jamaica him feeling kind of British, but really being in this like in between place. Yeah. You know, but that in between is not always a loss, you know, that sometimes it is, but there's also an opportunity in the in betweenness. Totally. I mean, listen, this is the thing about sort of the almost, I don't want to get in trouble here. Um, the selection, identity selection, right? Racial, ethnic, gender wise. Um, yeah, there are that can be a blessing, but it can also be a trap. There, there or at least I believe so. I, 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 I've always thought that the that the fact of 
the, the possibility of having multiple identities is is something that flexibilizes people to the degree that one i mean it it it, it creates it creates empathy just you know um mm. it, it, again you know that there are other ways of doing things and i don't think this is a language question it's a it's a buy or try uh culturality sort of issue you know mm. um if if you can if you can make your way in a in a francophone situation you can make your way in a i mean in a in a in a um, uh, Spanish-speaking situation, or an English-speaking situation, and in Germany, you know, um, then y- you picked up not just the language, but the 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 cultural habits, the good ones and the bad ones, and and, and mm-hmm. you know, and and your understanding of the way people digest information, speak, um, throw phrases around, curse you know, increases. Mm. And, and, and there's a, I, I think there are, there's great value to that. Um, yeah. I think I was thinking about one of our previous guests, Libby Heaney, who is an artist who works with quantum computing and um, she is excited and also uh, aware of the challenges, but excited by the possibilities of thinking about how quantum helps us to think about fluidity and being entangled, you know, and I think, there is something in that it just make it just I was curious to speak to you about your curatorial and your writing um style because of being moving through these different cultural uh states and places and um being brought into context and having to almost like f- soak up and embed yourself. In a, in a very particular period of time and to articulate something other than what you went in there thinking you were going to do? You know, I'd, honestly, I, I, I used to get asked this a lot and a lot more when I was, you know, I had a regular perch um, at the Village Voice or, or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who don't remember the Village Voice. Um, well, actually, it's still around. It's just on the web. But it was, you know, um, the first of the independent weeklies in in, in the in the U.S. It's just a storied sort of like uh, life. Um, uh, and in many ways, it was the internet before the internet appeared. Because mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it wasn't just Andy Warhol, but a million people would basically sort of put in messages and or ads in the back of the paper. And so that was the way everybody got jobs in downtown. It was the the quintessence of like the downtown publication. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but when I, when I, when I had that perch, I would, I would, you know, often get asked, um, you know, do you, among the, among other questions, you know, do you know what you're going to say when you basically go into, to, to see a show? I mean, did I, did I know, would I know the final product? Did I go mm. in with a given opinion? And 99% of the time, the answer is no. Mm. You figure out by doing. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I think my curatorial work, you know, functions the same one. You know, yeah, um, yeah I had a draft of what mm. I thought this show in Portland would be. Um, uh, it is a different show, mm. you know. Um, and in really good ways, you know, yeah. I, I, I have to say, I'm actually, I'm quite proud of this show among other things because nothing blew up, 
<laughs> That's a bonus. Don't let a, don't let a curator tell you any different. Yeah. But when you're juggling lots of sort of constituencies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing an all-city show, in this case, we had 17 venues, right? Wow. Uh, 16, um, uh, um, 16 physical venues and, and then uh, one in the public realm. Um, but, you, you know, you're, you're counting in other teams, right? You're counting yes. in both their cooperation and their buy-in. And when I say buy-in, that's an inelegant way to say, you know, their generosity, Yes. You know? And so part of what you try and set out, and this is, again, the stuff that happens behind the curtain, um, is, 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 is a consistent messaging. That's not just messaging. I don't want to euphem- make a euphemism out of this. But you want to convince people that it's a team operation, that yes. there's a stake in it for them as well as for you and the organization that you're representing and the yes. artists. Right. That they're co-collaborating in something. Right. You want them, mm. you know, in the best scenario, yeah. both during and then after with a public, and mm-hmm. in this case with a city and anybody else who comes. Yeah. You want a sense of ownership. Yeah. You want people to, to, to feel like, you know, uh, shit, yeah, this is, this represents me in some fashion, mm. you know. What's the biggest risk you had to take, Christian? In that process, was the biggest ri- was the biggest risk that you had to take in the process? Um, belief again, you know, mm. just just I, I think making people believe in a large operation with a lot of moving parts, with a lot of different um, levels of professionalism, different individuals, different. Um, ways of working sometimes um, that that participating in um, in an endeavor like that is worth it, you know. And how do you help yourself to keep the belief alive? Stubbornness. <laughs> um, well, you know, it, it really it, it's it's also you know thinking that that ultimately doing the thing is important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course, sometimes you wonder, um, you know, who who needs another biennial? Yeah. <laughs> so how did you sell yourself on this one? Um, you know, part of it was the fact that, you know, again, it wasn't a situation where, you know, the check was on the table and the, and the, and the white walls were freshly painted, um, you know, and, and the team was brand spanking new and in product. You know, mm-hmm. um, there, there, there was a sense that, you know, this thing merited doing precisely because those conditions weren't around. You know, look, yeah. those conditions generally tend to sort of like favor and money favors the strong. You know? mm. um, it is um it's a it is a really unique opportunity, I have to say. So it would be kind of crazy not to give it a bash. I that's that was kind of, you know, my thinking. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, uh, because you're doing something collective, ultimately that's not a good enough reason. But, but yeah, that's a good place to start. And that was certainly where I started, you know. Do you know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but um, I know certainly lots of artists do where you, um, and curators too, but I'm just curious whether you experience it. 
when I've worked really hard, like maybe for two years on a major show with an mm. artist or whatever, and you go through the ups, the downs, the kind of, you know, the weird kind of marriage relationships, the kind of, you know, the stress, the kind of exhausted. emails a day. Yeah, exactly. The kind of concern that it's not going to be as good as you'd hoped. All of those things. It's so nuanced, right? So it's an emotional yeah. roller coaster that you go through. And you're yeah. never quite sure if you're going to pull it off. Not really, are you? You have a hunch and you've kind of got the determination and you've got the kind of the years behind you, but you're never quite sure if it's going to be as good as you want it to be. And because we're creative people, there's always a little bit left, isn't there, at the end, where there's always more that could have been done. There's always, oh, sure. some, there's always something that you're like, damn, I wish we'd have had either this, that or the other, or maybe the artist wished they could have had that, you know, done this, that, the other. And so I'm curious, you know, at the end of each of these mammoth projects that you do, what is that thing that, you know, keeps you going? What is the thing that keeps driving you that is yet to be done? Well, maybe it's what you just mentioned, you know, having um, having not quite nailed it, you know, mm. having, having, having things fill, you know, um, uh, the cup, um, uh, you know, and, and, and I think you're right. I mean, I, I think in, in every, in every large project, um, particularly projects that, that, you know, where, where you're obligated to involve communities, plural, you know, there are things that, that simply are going to sort of escape your grasp. And there are also sort of things that are, you know, more, I don't know if intimate is the right word, but, but more personal where you wish you had done a better job, mm. you know? Um, and, and, and yeah, I, yeah, I think in this case, there are a number of things I would have loved to have done. I would have loved to, for example, with or without the budget, have spent more time properly embedded in Portland so that my reading was even was better. Mm. I mean, I was going to say even better. I think it's good. Mm. Yeah, it could have been much better. Mm. You know, um, uh, do you mean deep, go deeper? Yeah. You mm. know, I, you know, just, you know, I, I, among other things, I wish I'd gotten, you know, my ass in front of the mayor before he sort of showed up and, and, and said, you know, a number of very kind words at her, at her opening, but you know, they, they should have, they should have helped us more. Mm. They should have, and, 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 and it's not on them if, if, you know, if we're not in front of them mm. sort of demanding it. Um, mm. Some of these are time issues. Some of them are resource issues, you know? Um, yeah. Some of them are priorities that weren't sort of um, nailed sort mm. of uh, first time around. But, but again, you know, these are, I think in every project, as you were saying, yeah, you know, it's the kind of thing that happens. There are, mm. you know, there, there, it, it's just, it's a shortfall and it's normal. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it doesn't keep me up at night, but no, I you know, get that. But it's the kind of thing that informs the next project, you know? What That's I'm right. Yeah. You know? What was the nicest surprise from the biennial? <laughs> the fact that it came off. You know what the nicest surprise <laughs> is? 
is 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 that particularly sort of during opening week, um, and 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 with the press when we were kicking the thing off two or three weeks before, and then up to um, the opening, um, just the the sense that people people really tuned in. People people wanted something like this. They needed a they need i mean i'll i'm going to put it in a in a nutshell that i that i heard from folks in a tv interview and somebody else mentioned it to me you know they wanted good news they mm. wanted something to feel positive about it's mm. so as basic as that you know and a lot of the work wasn't about positivity yeah that's what i was going to say know? so but it was about having art in their city art in their all over the city mm. you know and free, and f- and for them to think of Portland as a kind of place that could be a hub, or that you know hopefully is a hub now that this kind of thing mm. happened. You know, again, yeah. it hadn't happened since COVID, and I think people tend to forget about things when they don't sort of like happen mm. for three years, right? Yeah. Um, Where do you think your personal drive comes from, Christian? I'm not sure I have a ready answer for that. Um, uh, I think I know where my interest in what I'm doing comes from, and that goes way back. But you know, my personal drive—I don't know. Just I, 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 uh, I'm good at a certain number of. I'm good at a small number of things. Um, I'm good at writing. I'm good at being an interlocutor about or a messenger or a translator for art, for contemporary art in particular. Um, it turns out I'm fairly good at putting complicated things together, or at least mm-hmm. convincing people who are better equipped than I am to help me put them together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I think because, possibly because they're, those are a very few things, um, it's occurred to me somewhere along the line that I had better push them as far as I possibly can, mm. um, and do as much as I can with them. Uh, one, because they doing so makes me happy and it gives me a sense of meaning, you know, mm-hmm. personally, but also because I've had the good fortune of having those same moments mean stuff to other people. Mm. Right. Um, and, and, and that, you know, and I, I find that very rewarding. Everyone likes to be liked. Mm. Everyone especially likes to be liked for things that one thinks one does well. Um, and, uh, you know, if one especially likes to be liked when people tell you that, you know, that also does well for them. So, Mm. You know, you said- I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I, this is, this isn't life-saving here. This isn't like, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't oncology, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, but, you know, there is, I think, great value in this thing that, that we do, you, I, lots of folks that, that, you know, we, we know are in contact with that occupies a significant part of what visual art is about it and, and, you know, meaning making gets people up in the morning. Mm. You, know? you said that you can trace it back to your, to the, to early days, 
where did it start for you? Well, you know, um, coming to consciousness, um, uh, and, and I, I don't, I don't mean like you know crawling out of my mother's womb, um, uh, but but sort of later coming to consciousness, figuring out that you're a person vis-a-vis, you know, a, a larger environment, a family, uh, uh, um, uh, their sort of radiating set of friends and acquaintances of your own. Um, uh, a basic sort of like civic order, finding yourself in that place um, is a kind of coming consciousness. You know, the one I, the there's a moment that I that is it, it, it's weird to describe it as um, as a Madeline and the tea moment because it it it's less an illumination than than a a, a moment of sort of self identity and that is when I was about nine um, and living in in Chile um, a, a coup happened and essentially. You know, it it, um, it kind of shattered my childhood along with like another 13 million people, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, or their lives. Um, and and things after that were different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they were different because, um, well, because I could immediately tell that things had changed. Um, uh, that, you know, adults were at each other's throats and that there were planes in the air dropping bombs in a presidential palace and the troops in the streets. And um, and I had family members who had to go into hiding and then later in exile. And and, uh, and then, you know, it didn't take but a couple of years and, and we moved and, and, uh, and a different life started for me. Where know? did you move to? Um, we moved to uh, Washington D.C. My my dad's a, a scientist, um, and and so luckily for us, we were in a situation where we we had a number of places we could decamp to, but mm-hmm. but that wasn't true for you know mm. thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of other people, uh, and it was rough going there for a while. And so you know it. it, it you know, we were talking about sort of this 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 notion of belonging to more than one culture. Um, you know, I, I mm. remember again um, much later. Uh, I was at a dinner in Chile with my wife and my, my godparents, and, and somewhere there was a, a young a young girl who you know asked me if I'd. It's a very rote question. You know, do I feel you know American as in the U.S. Um, or do I feel Chilean? I said, I didn't feel either. And I remember she looked at me with a, she had a look of horror on her face. Mm-hmm. She said, how sad. And I was so pissed off. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wanted to just like, argh. but we were in an environment in which I, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to be unkind, but it's replayed in my head, you know, and I, and I, and I, you know, I, I I've always wanted to have her in front of me and tell her, no, you got it wrong. Mm. You know, the 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 lucky thing is that I got to sort of have the opportunity to to not be from this place or that place. You know, mm. um, to 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 be to to have to have the surety that that belonging to something larger than those two notions of nationhood, you know, or culture. Mm. 
um, or class makeup, you know, was a very important thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, and I, and I often go back to that when I think about sort of, you know, the, the, the pull that, um, that monocultural identities have, whether they're religious, you know, mm. or otherwise, um, because I'm a firm believer in, in, you know, the larger sort of the larger field of uh, humanity. Do, do I sound like a penny waste if I say that for Christ's sake? You know, I, do you, I've, I'm all the way to the woo Christian. So yeah. <laughs> you can say, you can well, say that. So that, yeah. so that moment that, that September 11th of 1973, for some reason, September 11th keeps coming up uh, um, as, as, uh, as really kind of dastardly dates. Um, but you know, that, 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 you know, marked me in obviously not tremendously positive ways. Um, this location is a, is a tough thing to get over as a 10, 11, 12 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but you know, the dislocation also has gifts the, you know, the, the, the glass half full situation, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to, yeah. It seems unsurprising then that you would have experienced that as a as a child and then be you know talking about goya and um artists who articulate uh the the times that they're moving through socially politically economically and it's something that you return to i'm curious in terms of contemporary artists who do you feel that you've learned the most from christian in terms of contemporary artists um, I have a very sort of, <clears throat> I'm lucky to be friends with a, a, a couple of people who, um, you know, who, who I've learned a lot from, um, you know, I, they're not, the first person I'm going to mention is not really sort of overtly political. Um, but I think the work, you know, seen, um, in its totality is, and that's, you know, Lisa Uscavage, um, uh, you know, who, you know, is known as a painter of large breasted women. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but, you know, somebody who's been, who, by the way, comes from, um, as it were, the other side of the tracks. Uh, and uh, I guess he's from, you know, a very working class background. Um, and sort of learn how to do something kind of exquisitely, and that is paint and paint the female figure. And the reason I think she's gone after the female figure in, 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 in such a bold and sometimes upsetting way is, you know, because, well, I guess one, she may want to make it, wanted to make the object of, or the principal object of the history of painting hers. Um, but also because she wanted to give it a fucking twist, you know, um, uh, and and she's certainly done that. You know, she's, um, uh, you know, I, I I think I when I first saw those works, I found them so upsetting that I blacked my ass off. I just they just seemed like a, a, a really like a Dave Chappelle joke, mm. like the best Dave Chappelle joke. And I still think of them that way. You know, they're not made to please. Mm -hmm. uh, they're gorgeous, but they're not made to please. Mm. Somebody else who I think, I, I think people will find it bizarre that I put these two people in the same 
set of sentences, same sentences. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm lucky to call Richard Moss a friend. He's somebody mm. I worked with on a couple of occasions. Mm. Um, uh, we, you know, we met in Ireland actually, and he was just about to represent Ireland in Venice. Um, I mean, I really think he should have, you know, won a, a proper award in Venice for that pavilion. Um, but you know, he's somebody who actually like Yuskavage aestheticizes um often um uh brutal landscapes, you know, sometimes brutal situations. Right. He did that um when he photographed uh you know, the war in the Congo, um in the eastern Congo. Um he just did that with um the basically the ongoing ecocide in the Amazon. Mm. And that was work that was seen in in uh in London. Um I think it was September of last year. Mm. Um 180 Strand, the Serpentine did a, a, a project together with them. Um uh you know he tricks out he, he tricks out contemporary photography in such a way as to make images that we that we see so much that we take for granted spectacular and that spectacularity basically sort of like switches it, it flips it on switch in consciousness, I think. Mm. Um, so that people actually take notice, you know, um, mm. and then forces them to do a reread. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I, and, and I think both those artists do that. There, there are so many others and I, you know, I feel terrible about not being able I to. I know it's like asking you what's your favorite band. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think there's uh sort of learning stuff is like learning the challenging things as well as the joy of of working with these people and i think it's uh, a testament that you you return to working with artists over their career which i think is really interesting because you you are aware of how an artist's ideas unfold over time and i'm sort of thinking about you as a fledgling curator and critic and kind of where you are now Again, looking at the past through the lens of today, you know, what do you think of the constants that you've taken with you, Christian, from from the early days? Well, I'm glad you see it as a constant because you've known me for a long time. Um, uh, I I think I've wanted to continue to work in this field because because there are challenges because because I think the meaning making within it holds special power you know mm-hmm. i think the the first sentence of my walking into an artist studio back when i was you know before before, before i had really sort of properly encountered the visual arts i had some vague idea of what it was mm-hmm. um i'd been to museum sure um uh i'd been to galleries okay i maybe had picked up a book or two I was living in Barcelona. I was in my early twenties, and among other reasons, you know, I, 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 because I realized that artists were far more uh, gregarious than writers. Writers are fucking boring. They're complete <laughs> shut-ins. Um, Noted. You know, exactly. I fell. I fell into their company, and and then began doing projects, magazines, this, that, and the other. And then I, but but I, I walked into a you know, a, a bona fide artist's um, uh, studio 
somebody who was working and living off his work. Um, and I just remember kind of being floored by the idea that you could make meaning. I was a literary guy that you could make meaning essentially by, you know, dirtying a piece of cardboard or a piece of cloth. Mm. Um, and that thing that, which I later, you know, in reading someone like a Pierre Bonifoy, who's a, who's a, who's a French theorist who talks about figural thought. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of kenned on the idea that like, right, there is this way that things visually mean that basically, again, overspills the cup of linguistic meaning, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, I think a lot of uh, structuralists, you know, might debate the point, but, but you know, I, I, I think it does. There's a, just sort of a, there's, there's an extra set of, of um, there's an extra there's an extra there's a superpower there that I think is is missing in in literary language. I mean, literary language is a thing, and I'm all for mm. it, obviously. Um, but but my interest has remained in this notion of figural thought and 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 the way uh, again meaning sort of spills over and spills over in time, right? Um, mm. You know, there are ways that we look at. Um, the, for example, we were talking about the David Hammond's uh, sculpture that in the hood, that hoodie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, there, there are ways it, it means. I think the date for that piece was 1997, the original date, after the death of a young guy named Trayvon Martin, who was basically sort of shot in Florida, basically for wearing a hoodie. And I, I seem to remember the kid was 14 or 15. Mm. You know, just a baby, just a kid, just mm. an awful um, exercise. And then there was an exercise or or, or, or a, a, a terrible travesty of jurisprudence, you know, wherein the guy who shot him uh, was acquitted. Um, it meant something different in 1997. It meant one thing in 1997 was something different after the Trayvon Martin thing happened mm. in the early 2000s. And certainly something completely different now after George Floyd. Um, it, in the spilling over of those things, in the spilling over of meaning, I, I, I think great works manage to sort of speak to different times and not get pegged by, again, if we're talking about Guernica, the Spanish Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, there are works out there, I think there are works being made today who, that, that, that do that, you know, um, that prefigure uh, yes. moments. Um, the- you know, the, coming yeah. to consciousness. Um, yeah, the way you described it made me think of the of echoes. You know, sort of over time, and how an it like an image stays on the back of your retina somehow, but is you know is kind of haunting. Um, just know that time time is uh, upon us. But I'm curious when it comes to writing about art. You know, and say you're invited to write for um, a magazine, as you have been for all kinds of um, art magazines, and you're commissioned to write something. You know, it strikes me again of that context. You know, you're aware of the context of the magazine. You're aware of the context of maybe the show that you're going to review and the whatever, but thinking about how do you hold on to your own creative identity in the mix of those m- multiple contexts crossing over? 
Well, I mean, at this at, th- at this point, when people ask me to do things, they have a sense of what I'm going to deliver. Mm-hmm. That wasn't true, you know, initially, and you know, it might not have even been true a decade into my sort of working as a as a as a writer in the field. Um, uh, you know, early early on, I I needed those contacts to figure out you know, who I was in the page, mm. right? Um, again, after some three decades of of work, you know, um, uh, folks who asked me, you know, for the most part, know what I'm going to deliver. Could you describe does what that, you think? Does, the, d- does that get sort of like um, uh, tailored sometimes? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, there, there, there are contexts that, that um, that that demands, you know, the more political Viveros Fone than 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 others. Um, you know, there are contexts that require me to sort of hew more to the work. Um, you know, uh, to you, that particular painting. Have you had a, an instance, Christian, where what you've written has caused a bit of a furor? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. And how does that feel? Well, it can feel good and it can feel bad. I, you know, mm. um, um, so, you know, one of the first, I'd like to think it was one of the first viral pieces of art criticism, um, but it was, oh, I won't remember the year, but it was, uh, I, I think it was when Hearst, yeah, it was when Hearst did all the spot paintings. Mm-hmm. Pardon me, when Hearst did all the spot painting shows globally. Um, yeah. uh, it was the, it was the, it was fairly early in sort of the life of the active internet, you know, mm-hmm. um, where you, I mean, you weren't hearing sort of the, the dial up tone from AOL.com anymore. And, uh, anyway, so, um, I, I wrote his, um, his obituary. Um, in response to those shows, and 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 I and I wrote it remembering a line from Brendan Behan, the, the the famous boozy Irish poet, who had said, "You know, all press is good press, except your own obituary." Mm-hmm. Um, and I and and I, and I wrote that thing in a weekly. It was in the Village Voice, and it got picked up everywhere. Like the Corriere de la Serra ran it, the La República in in Mexico City ran it. Um, La Tercera and Chile ran it as if it was news, <laughs> which was a riot. Um, and then they had to sort of do corrections. Um, a Japanese paper, you know. Um, so that was that was tremendously satisfying. There was another time I did a, a takedown of a curator who was at MoMA and is no longer at MoMA. Um, and uh, he he'd done a couple of things that had made me particularly angry. One was having left Tanya Bergera in the lurch in, in, in Havana when she was first arrested and then, you know, uh, and basically made a comunicado. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that sometimes, and this is something I, I think your listeners don't necessarily know. Um, uh, writers, even even writers who 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 have some pull within their institutions and outside of it um, uh, don't always get to title their pieces. 
Huh. So the editors did. And so the editor in this instance decided to title the the article. He, he used part of my title and then called for the resignation of this curator, Ooh. which I had not done. Spicy. Spicy indeed. It was sort of, again, context is everything. Was the be- if, if the first, if the Damien Hurst article was at the beginning of sort of like what we might now call sort of the very active internet, you know, this was at the beginning of clickbait. You know, mm, yeah, and that was one of the rationales, and it went, it went everywhere. It's fucking spread like wildfire, wildfire. And when you do, when you call for somebody's resignation, of course, you've got a number of people who support X person, and you know, I'll, I'll say yeah. Cloud Beesenbach because at this point, it's all over the fucking internet. Why yeah. am I bothering to actually even sort of hide it? Um, and and a lot of people sort of like, yeah, he had a lot of people who supported him. Obviously, otherwise, he wouldn't have been in that. He wouldn't have had that perch moment. And so there was a lot of. You know, there was as much attacking Biesenbeck as there was attacking me. Thankfully, I went on vacation in Mexico and <laughs> didn't catch wind of much of that until I came back. But how yeah, do you help? How know. do you help yourself to be resilient in that instance, then, Christian? If you're going to put yourself out there with that kind of stuff, fuck up. You know, you did you mm-hmm. did the best job you could in putting together the best and fairest case. Um, so you know, I, I'm. I, I was good with it. Have you ever had to um, apologize publicly to anyone? Y- yes. Um, and one occasion in particular, uh, and it was early. It's actually, it was one of my first reviews in, in mm-hmm. New York when I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's an artist named Mike Smith, um, who I think is now in Texas. He's a performance artist. Good performance artist, actually, mm-hmm. uh, video artist, and he was in a show um, at at a gallery. Now that now the owners of that gallery are friends of mine, but at the time that was the case. And I went in and I did a review. I don't remember who for, um, and I didn't get the work. And I slagged it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it, which is, by the way, very uh, rookie mistake. Yeah, you know, um, not slagging it. The rookie mistake was in not looking deep enough and, be, and and getting carried away by one's own rhetoric. Yeah, which is I think something something that happens to to cub critics. Yeah, and you know many years later, <laughs> and I knew I got it wrong after I read it, and I was like, ah, right. yeah, that, that wasn't. Yeah, that, I went overboard. That mm. was not. Not called for would be yeah. the phrase, but many decades later, um, uh, I did dinner in Venice, of all places. This fellow walks into the door and asks <laughs> if he can sit at our table. <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah, and we've said hello any number of times in the intervening years, um, and. And he and he, uh, two drinks go down, and of course, comes right out with it. And I was like, yeah. "Mike, I've got to tell you, not my best moment. I owe you a profound apology. I am very sorry. I'll buy you drinks for the rest of the evening. Like, which, by the way, we're free." But um, did he accept your apology? He was yes, he did, he did. But he'd been carrying that around for a bit. Oh you know? man. Do you know yeah. that? Well, I'm sure uh, that the, wasn't the only thing to be carrying around. He's he, he's a he's an interesting guy. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, he was completely right to 
to call me out. And yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful that he accepted my, That's my apologies. Amazing. It strikes me it's there's an element of bravery in doing the things uh, that what? you do. There's an element of bravery in okay. doing the things that you choose to do, Christian. So thinking about 2024 and beyond, if you could take an even bigger risk and do something even more audacious creatively, what might that be? Um, a book, a bigger book. A bigger book. A bigger do you have, book. Do you have a working uh, title for it? Unregulated. Unregulated. And it's about and it's about both the gifts that art brings by being unregulated, by being an experimental arena for for lots of different kinds of thinking. Um, thinking about materials, thinking about personal meaning, thinking about society, right? Um, and also the the you know the 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 negative aspects of a lack of sort of regulation, some of which we know about, you know, yes, stuff that happens in the market, you know, money yes. laundering, certain kinds of crime, you know, I did, those are very um, uh, broad brush. It's a very broad brush description. I, I've been talking about it with uh, with with a couple of people and mm. and uh, and an agent, but I need to finish putting. Um, the present project to bed, which I'm yeah. still sort of ongoing. I'm leaving tomorrow for Portland for a set of talks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, before I can get to it, but, but that, that's what I would really like to do. I would really like to, to, to do that and, and, um, and do it well. We'll, we'll mm. see. Sounds brilliant. Listen, before we go, I just want to remind you and your listeners of something. And I think this will be of interest to them. And, and that is that, and we've known each other a long time. We've both said that a couple of times in this conversation, but, but there was a moment, um, I don't remember when it was, it must've been in the early 2000s when I was transitioning between one thing and another. And I had an, an amazing conversation with you. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you remember it, but I remember it very well. Um, and, you know, you, you really sort of helped. If I was feeling low and I was, you helped me pick me up. Oh. Um, and and so it's it's not a surprise to me that you're doing what you're doing. Oh. And um yeah, for all your listeners, absolutely listen to this lady. Oh, thank you, Christian. That's so it means so much to me. And uh yeah, your support is it honestly means everything. So thank you. And uh I think what you've shared, which I'm, you know, I'm touched that it, it relates to me, but I think it is really important actually, whether it's in the arts or broader society, you never do know when you touch somebody in their hour of need. And actually those small moments that maybe you don't remember, but somebody else does, it can make an enormous difference. And I think it judging from what you do and the contribution that you want to make and certainly what we want to encourage all creatives and others listening to this podcast is that actually it's the it's the intention and the effort and the willingness to be wrong but the yeah. willingness to show up and just to push the edges of things to see what's possible and to hope 
that it lands with somebody, the hope that it connects with somebody in some shape or form. And, you know, for all those mavericks of people like me and like you, Christian, that like the world to be irregular shaped with um, all of the difference in between, I would just say thank you so much, Christian, for doing what you do. Keep doing it, please, and keep being prepared to put yourself in the midst of all those new, strange contexts to help us to see the world slightly differently. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for this conversation. It's been wonderful. I love the fact that Christian is a creative polymath, committed to working in challenging contexts, to collaborating, to thinking through art and society, and being prepared to stick his neck out, to not needing to be liked, to be willing to give it a shot. I admire it because so many of us stay small because we're afraid of putting our head above the parapet, of having a contentious opinion, of being battered by a wave of naysayers. We need those brave enough to challenge, to say I don't agree, to call bullshit publicly more than ever right now. Please follow and share the podcast. It helps us to support more brilliant creatives like you. Recommend future guest suggestions in your reviews. They might well become part of our show. Thanks for being part of our creative community. Until next time.